welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have an episode I have been waiting to do for a while. I'm very excited to be able to get to it and bring you this review of this album that just came out. Uh, it was teased a while back, but of course, because of COVID, uh, you know, so many projects had gone on release delay. But fortunately, it has come out. And uh, interestingly, I have not listened to it. I have not listened to any single song, any interviews, any clips, any anything at all, because I really wanted my review to be 100% fresh first reaction of the first time I'm hearing any of these songs. Um but before we get into that, I want to let you know that this is episode 151 of the show. We have done 150 episodes. We have 150 to go. And so we are at the crest of uh, hitting the back side of this podcast. And, you know, just over the side of the hill, I see this just beautiful sunrise and it must be nature's light. The album cover is fantastic. It um, it looks like a painting. I don't know. You know, these days you really can't tell if it was something that was done on computer because they can do so many things with, uh, you know, textures and shading and all that. Um, but it looks to me like a painting. I love the fact that the uh, picture itself is not perfectly square or in this case rectangle because of the, so the uh, type of the CD case. Um that really makes me happy because it really does look like it's just like a painting. Um, interestingly, this uh, this whole CD package is really, really nice. And I'm going to talk about it because I don't usually comment on uh, packaging anymore because most of the time I buy my music online. I don't get the CDs. When I do get the CDs, it's usually the standard jewel case or a double case, but there's nothing typically amazing about the packaging. Uh, if anything, it's in the booklet that's just too damn tiny to read anyway. But uh, in this case, this picture is credited to Joan Marion DiBiase. I hope I'm saying that right. There are some beautiful photographs in here that were done by Michael Keel. Uh, the design was done by Alexander Merch, Merch, M-E-R-T-S-C-H. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, but it's it's absolutely just a beautiful package. It's a really nice thick cardboard. It's a little bit uh, deeper than a normal CD case would be. But uh, it's very sturdy. The, uh, the paper that uh, comes on the inside of it is very nice. Just a, a slight gloss to it. But it, uh, the, the pictures are stunning. There are pictures of Richie and Candace that are, um, you know, superimposed under these nature backgrounds that just blended very, very well. Uh, I love the coloring on here. I, I don't think I've ever seen a packaging that I've liked this much. I usually don't care at all. But this is just so, so beautifully done. So the other cool thing, and what was a little bit of a mystery for the longest time, now I wanted to order this earlier. Uh, for some reason, Amazon said it was not available. And then all of a sudden it just was, but by then the album had already been released. So I actually couldn't buy it until release date to get this particular package. Uh, but there are two CDs. There's Nature's Light, which has 10 songs. And there is a bonus CD of Blackmore's Night Classics which has another, what, nine songs on it uh, that have all been pre previously released. But that's a, that's a really nice bonus. And, you know, the CD was only a couple of bucks more than you would pay normally for a new CD. So, you know, it was worth it just in case there was any, you know, maybe bonus additions or different takes or alternate mixes or anything. Because I really could not find any information on the internet. Everything was unknown, not listed, unreleased. So I thought, well, you know what, for a couple of bucks, I'm just going to go ahead and take a chance. Glad I did. Uh, it's just such a nice package that, um, you know, it, it was worth it. Uh, this has been um, 
they're listed as an Adele family member. This is done through Ear Music, which has, uh, you know, had some great bands, especially in the last few years. Uh, you know, Richie's former band, Deep Purple, has had a lot of success with Ear Music, as has Alice Cooper just releasing the Detroit stories, which I have not had a chance to listen to yet. Uh, that is where I'm from. And I did get to see Alice in Detroit on Halloween night in 1987, I believe it was, on the Raise, and Fist, Raise Your Fist and Yell tour with um, Kip Winger, I believe, was on bass and Kane Roberts on lead guitar. And what a fantastic show. And, and of all nights to see Alice Cooper on Halloween night, absolutely amazing. He pulled out all the stops, everything he could uh, he could do, he did, as far as I know. Uh, even though it was many, many years ago, I, I still have some great memories of that show. I want to say Fraley's Comet opened. I think that was the show that they opened for because when I saw uh, Deep Purple on the House of Blue Light tour with Richie, I believe it was Bad Company that opened for them. And uh, the first time I saw Deep Purple was on the Perfect Stranger tour, Strangers tour. All three of these concerts, by the way, were at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. And in fact, we got lucky to see Deep Purple the second night because they had sold out in a heartbeat the first night. So they decided to stay and do a second show and uh, everything just worked out. The arena was available. I don't know how all that comes together. But um, but in any case, they played the second night. That's when we got to see them, which was uh, just amazing. Girls School actually opened that night. Uh, on the Perfect Strangers tour, which I thought was kind of an odd bill, but they put on a pretty decent show from what I remember. I didn't really care. I wanted to see Deep Purple. That was who I was there for. The opening band could have been anybody. And I would have been like, yeah, yeah, that's that's really nice music. Let's uh, let's get on with Deep Purple. But that was also the first um, major rock concert I had ever been to, too. So it's just a very exciting time all around. Uh, great shows, both on the House of Blue Light and on the Perfect Strangers tour. And those were the only opportunities I've ever had to see Richie perform. I have not had an opportunity to see Blackmore's Night perform. Uh, hint, hint, I am hoping that when the uh, when all the restrictions are, are lifted and people go on tour again, I am hoping that they will make a stop and perform for us here in Vegas. There's got to be a really good venue for a Renaissance concert. I'm thinking the Excalibur Hotel has got to have something uh, that would really fit. But you know what? Just play anywhere. Just play here. That's all I ask. Um the uh like i said the packaging is fantastic absolutely lovely uh there's a really beautiful uh opening to to the booklet that they have they have all the lyrics in here and the thing that's really nice is because the book is a little bit uh larger they have a little more room the text is actually readable you can actually read it without the hint of any magnifying glass or anything it's uh very nice uh, no strain on my eyes whatsoever, which normally I don't even bother with the books anymore. When I started the Uriah Heat podcast, I started taking pictures of all the pages on my cell phone so I could blow them up on the computer and read them. That was just an incredible amount of time to really, you know, try and piece everything together when you've got to split screens and all that. Um, I, I, I'm not a fan of the CD format for that reason. I am a fan of the CD format because it's easier to store. And, uh, but you know, if you're going to do that, you might as well download, but I really wanted to get the, uh, the actual physical CD for this one because the package looked really interesting. I wanted to know what the bonus disc was and you know what? I'm glad I did it. Um, yeah, so there's two discs that comes with the discs also look very nice. Same printing, the album cover, uh, on the first one. And then the classics has, uh, just a, a bit of a, a different picture of Blackmore's night, which is really nice. It's them sitting back to back performing. And, uh, I really like the Blackmore's night logo. Although I'm a little confused by it because, uh, and I'm not a font person, so take this with a grain of salt, but 
the word Blackmore, well, the whole thing appears to be all in, uh, you know, same size letters. So it looks like it's all capitalized. However, uh, the B for Blackmore looks like a capital B, but the N for Knight looks like a small N. However, you know, in some of these fonts, uh, capital letters look like the smaller versions of themselves, just larger. Uh, and Nature's Light is written in uh, what's a completely different font. So um, I can't really go by that. But yeah, it's kind of kind of weird, but it's, it's a very nice cover. Um, I would highly recommend checking it out. I got it on Amazon. It's not actually distributed by Amazon, though. So it goes through a third-party distributor, and uh, that might cause you a day or two delay. But I actually ended up getting mine uh, a couple of days early. It wasn't supposed to arrive until Monday, but it showed up on Friday and uh, I was finishing up a music project. So I'm very excited to just be getting to uh, listen to this for the first time now. Uh, a couple more notes. The executive producer is Richie Blackmore. I'm not sure on an album how that qualifies differently than it would on a film um, because typically like an executive producer on a film is the one that goes and gets the money and that sort of thing. I'm not sure if that relates the same on an album. Um, there's no producer listed, but there is an assistant producer of Pat Reagan. So, uh, I'm not surprised that Richie would be, uh, at the forefront of this because, you know, he seems to be, uh, really good at just, you know, making these kind of things happen, uh, between all the rainbow albums and everything. Uh, he's got a lot of material out there and there isn't anything I can say that, uh, I haven't liked. There's stuff I've enjoyed less, like the the stuff from his earlier career. Uh, I think he did a, a song, I think it was with Glenda Collins, called If You Gotta Pick a Baby. Not one of my favorite Blackmore tunes. But, you know, when you're a studio musician, you play on what you get hired to play on. And it's not a bad song. In fact, for the time, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's just kind of a weird song and a weird title to me. I, I don't really identify with the lyric. But uh, But in any case, yeah, this is some good stuff. So I did one other Blackmore's Night review. Back on December 4th, I reviewed their album or EP, really, Here We Come, a Caroling. They do some great Christmas music. Um, Winter Carols is a fantastic album. I've not done a review of that yet, uh, but we don't, we'll see where things are at come next Christmas. Who knows? But it is a favorite album of mine. I love listening to it. I, you know, I listen to it all year long, to be honest. I'm not a person that has to listen to Christmas music at Christmas. I just love Christmas music. But... This is something that, uh, you know, is interesting to me about the feel of Renaissance music is that it seems like any Renaissance music can be Christmas music. It has just that right combination of instruments and, and sound and feel. It's usually joyful. Um, Christmas music is typically joyful where everything else can be whatever, you know, moody, happy, sad, angry, frustrated, you know. So there's, I think, a couple of consistencies with Renaissance music that go along well with Christmas music. And that's probably why I feel that way. But, you know, I really enjoy it. I never thought I would like this. I'm not a big Renaissance guy. Um, I've been to one Renaissance festival that was in Phoenix. I thought it was okay. Uh, didn't really care for it. I did like the Dead Bob show. I thought that was a lot of fun. But I thought the jousting was so obviously scripted that I didn't enjoy it. And the rest of it was just kind of okay, but it didn't really, you know, blow my mind. Um, I have had people say, whether this is true or not, I don't know, that the one in Phoenix is not really the one to go to if you really want to appreciate a quality Renaissance festival. And I said, isn't it actually the same people that go from town to town? And I was kind of met with silence. So I'm just going to assume that's the case. <laughs> um, I have heard people all over the country talk about the Dead Bob show. So maybe there are multiple uh, Renaissance festivals and different groups of people. I really don't know. But in any case, 
Uh, it's just not my thing, but uh, which is why I find it so surprising that I enjoy their Black Mars Nights music so much because it doesn't fit into the normal thing I would listen to. But they have not put anything out that I haven't just really enjoyed. So I'm going to assume going into Nature's Light that it's going to be the same thing. So I'm going into this very positively charged, and I hope that you guys are too. Now, if you haven't heard uh, any of the review uh, shows that I've done, I just did one on Zebra's first album, Zebra. And before that, I cheated and did one of my own in Trance 2 that just came out. And before that, I did the Newton Rainbow Project. And I was so fortunate to have Paul Newton on with me as a guest to walk me through the history of the album, tell me some of the stories behind the songs. That was absolutely amazing. I loved that. And Paul's such a great guy. I, you know, I could just talk to that guy all day. So, uh, so the way I do it is uh, on the Uriah Heat podcast, I actually do a deep dive into each, each song. So each song is an episode and I run through the entire song. When I do review shows, um, those are not endorsed by anybody, whereas the Uriah Heat podcast is endorsed by Uriah Heat. So with these, um, I, I feel a little bit differently about playing music on the show. I just play a small snippet so that you get a taste of what I'm about to talk about. You can relate the things I say to the sounds that you hear, at least in the beginning. I usually play about the first 25, 30 seconds of a song so you can kind of get a feel for it. Um, sometimes that's before we hit vocals. So if that's the case, from time to time, I might push it a little bit forward into the song. But I find if you don't start at the beginning, you really don't have a context. So I think that's very important in establishing your connection to the song. And also, you know, sometimes it's kind of a spoiler alert. There might be a part I would play that would be kind of a surprising part in a song. And if you already know it's coming, when you go to listen to the full song, then I've kind of ruined it for you. And I really don't want to do that. I feel by playing the beginning of the song, I'm, I'm pretty much playing the safe road here and giving you something that's not going to be a spoiler alert or ruin anything for you. So that's pretty much how I do the reviews. And uh, I am so excited to just dig into this. The only um, interaction that I've had on this album actually was with Candace just the other day. I said that uh, I had finally received it. I posted a picture of it. I was excited that it came early. And, uh, and Candace told me to enjoy it. And uh, thank you, Candace. I'm sure I will. I did notice, uh, you know, they, they do have a thank list in here, which is always nice. I appreciate when bands thank the people that help them along or help them create the project. Uh, that's always very lovely to me. That makes me smile. Um, they did not thank me in the album, but they don't really know me. So that's not surprising. I'm not hurt by that in the least. Um, that's okay. Now, they do have some other musicians that play on here, and I love the way that they name them. Um, of course, we have Richie playing uh, acoustic and electric guitars, Hurdy Gurdy, the nickel harp, and the mandola. Is it mandola? Mandola. Mandola, I think. I really need to brush up on my Renaissance instruments because I honestly don't know that much about them. Um, but uh, I mean, I know generally what type of instruments they are, but as far as like specific this type of flute or that type of flute... Uh, that I'm not very brushed up on. Uh, rock and roll is so much easier. Uh, now, of course, we also have Candace Knight on lead vocals, harmony vocals, all Renaissance and medieval woodwinds and tambourines. So there's an exact uh, example of what I'm talking about. So there are a combination of Renaissance and medieval flutes. I would not know the difference between one or another. I just know that they typically sound lovely. And she's actually a very good flute player. We also have some other musicians that play on this. Uh, Bard David of Larchmont is the keyboard player and does some background vocals. I'm going to assume if we hear some male vocals, it will probably be him. Uh, Earl Gray of Chime, 
I hope I'm saying that right. I'm going to be saying that a lot. Uh, bass and rhythm guitar. And Troubadour of Aberdeen is on percussion. And we have Scarlet Fiddler on violin, which is kind of ironic. And Lady Lynn does some additional background vocals. And then on Going to the Fair, we have uh, that features vocals by Ottoman Rory Blackmore, Candace and uh, Richie's children. And um, actually was on a, uh, what would you call it, a live Instagram feed that they were doing. And uh, they were, uh, it was Candace and the kids and they were out of town and just doing kind of a posting thing from the hotel. And we talked a little bit. That was very enjoyable. Uh, Their kids seemed really nice, very intelligent. Not surprising, of course. And then uh, Second Element features background vocals by Jim Papalardo. Again, I do hope that I am saying that right. Uh, So Pat Reagan was not only the assistant producer, but he was also the sound engineer and did orchestral arrangements. And that's always interesting when you add those elements. I've seen that with Uriah Heep quite a bit where they've had some uh, orchestral parts on some of the songs. Salisbury would be a perfect example where you had a a whole woodwind and brass section doing a a 16-minute song. Somebody had to uh, orchestrate that in a way that could be related to the band and to the orchestra so that it would all work together. As Ken Hensley told me, he did not know how to read or write music. So when I say write, I don't mean write as in create, but like physically write on paper. Uh, So he had to have someone uh, there to do that for him. And uh, obviously none of the band uh, was was able to cover that, which is fine because they're rock musicians and not, you know, not everybody's brought up on that. And the end result was so phenomenal. I love that song. But we're not here to talk about Uriah Heep or Salisbury. We are here to talk about Blackmore's Night. And it's time to get into... This, this wonderful album, Nature's Light, and the first song is called Once Upon December. It's a really interesting opening because it sounds kind of like a stringed instrument, but it also sounds like a piano. Or maybe it's two things layered together. I don't know. But that's a very interesting sound uh, to start the album off. I like it. It's, uh, it's a good warming uh, to, the, to the song. Um, obviously, you know, classic Renaissance type riff, but it feels really good. It's a nice, uh, not too energetic, not too uh, slow. It's really a good tempo to open an album with. Candace's voice sounds very strong. I love it. Uh, there are some really nice surprises in the song, just in, in the lyric, in the flow of the lyric. It's a very poetic, which is uh, very, very common in this style of music. You feel almost the prose of the poem uh, as it would be laid out on a page. And uh, just a lovely sound. I think the mix is fantastic. I don't know if I've known a song where the tambourine really fills in the sound. Um I can't think of a specific example, even with Blackmore's Night, where it's so rich in the mix, yet it doesn't really intrude on anything. I mean, you can hear all the instruments and you really get a, a feel of the warmth of the song. It's happy, you know, it's it's just, you know, a good um, a good way to open an album. But, uh, the you know, the flute playing on it is very nice. The uh, Just the overall feel in the song is a great way to start an album. 
And the other thing it kind of reminds me of, and it might be just my Hollywood version of things, um, or maybe a cliche version of things, but it's it's kind of piratey. Like I would imagine in in pirate days, you know, sitting uh, at, at one of the ports, this might be the kind of music that you would hear people play as you're walking, you know, to a shop or to get food or something like that. You know, uh, street musicians might be playing this style of music, obviously not to this production level, but uh, but certainly uh, maybe in the same vein. And again, that just could be my very um, tiny Hollywood version of Pirates. I obviously was not around during the heyday of Pirates. Uh, unless you believe in past lives, maybe I was, who knows? Uh, but a very good song to open the album with. I found it very enjoyable and one I will happily listen to again. And uh, I believe... I believe that was the first single off of the album, Once Upon December, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Like I said, I did everything I could to avoid uh, any temptation of listening to anything. They had uh, asked for submissions for some pictures of what uh, the words nature's light meant to you. I sent in a picture I shot at Newport Beach a couple of years ago when I was out in California to attend the NAMM show in Anaheim. And uh, the day before the NAMM show, I typically spend at Newport Beach. That's my one day off a year. And uh, I took this particular sunset picture there and I sent it in. They used some of those pictures in the video. So I watched the video, but I did it with the sound off, which was really difficult. But again, I didn't want to have any uh, prior connection to any of the songs. Uh, they didn't use my photo in the video, but that's okay. There were so many beautiful photos. I'm sure they just got thousands of submissions, and uh, every one of them that they chose was uh, was definitely a winner in my book. So uh, that was the first song. I have to say, it did seem during the song that there was not a lot of reverb on the vocals. The vocals sounded kind of dry. Uh, in the end, there's a very, very nice reverb section, um, but it doesn't sound dry to the point where it's unpleasant. And I'm a pretty picky audio engineer, so uh, I can say that it's okay to have a vocal that sounds a little bit more dry. This, uh, The way that this album sounds, you kind of feel like you're there with them performing and not you know, distanced from them just listening on an album. You kind of feel like you're in the room. And if you were in the room when they were recording this or, you know, a small venue where they were performing, you might not have that kind of reverb anyway. So I'm thinking in terms of how, you know, most popular music is mixed. I think this sounds great without a lot of reverb on the vocal. I kind of like it a little bit drier. It makes me a little more connected than distanced from it, I think. Um, otherwise, this is just the, you know, ramblings of a crazy old man. And that is equally possible. So the next song is Four Winds. Let's get a taste of that. Okay, this song is my favorite on the album so far. I know we're on song two, but it's my favorite. This has such an interesting feeling to it because typically with this kind of music, you have certain expectations of the the sounds and the instrument. This actually has a really good beat to it. Uh, it's got a great bass line to it. Uh, some really nice playing from Richie. And uh, I, I really love his style with this, uh, just you know the way that he he picks the instruments. 
and uh, it just everything just always flows so nicely in in this with this band, and a uh, very strong vocal, very much so. I love that the backing vocals are not a hundred percent on exactly with the lead vocal all the time. I really like knowing and feeling like these songs were recorded by human beings, and not where everything is kind of. Uh, moved into place in Pro Tools or you know whatever DAW people are using these days, it really just feels human. Like there's a bunch of people working together to create music, and I love that. I feel like that's so lost in this world of we have to make everything perfect or it's or it's awful, and you know then everybody jumping on the bandwagons of pick you know picking out all the little mistakes and posting them on the internet, you know. Music is is made by human beings and it should sound like it's performed by human beings. And with the exception of certain types of music, like electronic music, um, when I write meditation music, that should be very much uh, right where it's supposed to be. There shouldn't be a lot of variation because you don't want to get drawn away from the meditation by uh, odd music. But for the most part, any music that is performed live, recorded by live musicians should sound that way. And I love that they had the backing vocals just not synced up 100% perfect to the lead vocal. That really just brings a warmth to me and an extra level of enjoyment when I'm listening to this. But it's got, it's a great song. It's got uh, a really nice uh, whip sound almost to the snare drum. And uh, it, at first I thought this is going to get annoying, but it didn't. It actually, you know, in the beginning it's a little more prominent, but it blends into the mix very nicely, except in a couple of spots where the drums are a little bit more featured mix-wise. But a uh, great song. Um, at, at the end, you get some uh, a little bit more of a Richie Blackmore flavor in the guitar. Just that style he has of playing this kind of music with trills and things like that in his playing. I just love the little things that he throws in. And it, it seems like it's just such a natural thing. It's just the way he plays. But as a listener, uh, I don't really know of anyone else that plays quite that way. So it's always something like he has just a signature feel that the majority of the time you can pretty much know it's him playing, even if you don't know it's him playing, if you know what I mean. But uh, very nice. It's one of the things I really love about this band is just that those elements that come together to make these songs special and unique and so much different from what you hear in the mainstream, even if they're using a similar song structure, you know, intro, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus, solo, even if they're using a structure like that, it just doesn't feel like a standard song. And uh, I love that. It's part of what uh, what the charm of this band really is for me. So, uh, yeah, great job. Four Winds, love it. Love it. I can't wait to hear what Feather in the Wind is going to bring us. Okay, well, first of all, I have to say that as a drummer, I'm very particular also about uh, drum sounds, but the kick drum in this song is the absolute perfect sound to me for a bass drum. It has just the right amount of low end, just the right amount of punch. It is absolutely perfect. However you did that, uh, put that formula in a museum, please, because that deserves to be preserved somewhere. It's I, I love the sound of it. 
And even though there's many points in the mix where it gets buried a little bit, you know, it's not a, a prominent instrument. It's more uh, felt in the chest than it really is heard in the ears. But uh, the uh, the sound of it is just perfect. You can really hear it more towards the beginning of the song, the the depth of the punch and all that. I, I just love that. That made me so happy to listen to. I can't even tell you. Uh, the rest of the song, though, is great. It's got a good, uh, good movement for it. It uh, just, it's, it's kind of like a party musically. It just, it, you know, I'm not a uh, a very physical person. I don't dance. I don't really, you know, um, at best, I tap my foot. That's about as close to dancing as I get. But you know, I, I'm a drummer, and so I'm used to sitting down and being lazy anyway. But this song, I mean, it definitely makes you wanna wanna stomp your foot. And it's it's got a great percussion to it. It's got a, another great bass line, beautiful guitar playing. It just moves really well. It's not that it's an energetic song. It doesn't like drive hard. It just has that party light feel to it, but there's a lot going on. It's kind of busy, but doesn't feel like it's busy, which is really hard to pull off. I mean, typically songs that are busy, you could tell, you know, but there's there's a lot going on, but it just moves so well that it it almost masks the technical aspects of the song. Uh, there's some really nice violin playing in here, uh, kind of something I wouldn't have expected. It, not not the nice violin playing, but the particular thing that she's playing, it just is, is not what I was expecting as I heard that part starting up. Uh, another great surprise that I don't want to spoil for you, I will just say that at the end of the song, uh, right before the song starts to fade out, there is a, an additional flute that comes in and the pitches that are used just sound really interesting. It sounds like it's off pitch, but it's not. At the same time, it's really unexpected. And I like that. I like that there's a little bit of adventure in this song, but it definitely feels like a party. And the other thing I want to say before I get to the next song is that I talk a lot on uh, Uriah Heap, the Magician's podcast about David Byron as a vocalist and how you know, he's not somebody that just gets up there and sings the words. He, you really feel he's telling the story like he's experienced this and he's recounting the events or telling you what is going on or what's about to happen. Like you feel so dragged into the story by the way that he delivers the lyrics. And I have to say it's the same way with Candace. Everything I've heard has been, you know, I'm going to take your hand and you're going to come with me on this journey, not... I'm going to sing this song for you. And there is a huge difference for me as a listener, how invested I feel, how connected I feel to the music when the singer can make me feel like I'm a part of it. And even though I'm not much of a lyrical guy, you know, you could tell me a story about anything as long as it sounds good. I'll, I'll just enjoy it. Uh, you know, and even if it's a horror story, cause I write horror music, but the, the feeling of I'm going to tell you, Scott, this story I feel like it's very personal connection to the vocals. And I really like that. I don't feel that very often. A lot of times I feel like they're singing a story about something. And I've told the story on the show uh, before about when I met Graham Bonnet, who uh, played uh, who sang on the album Down to Earth by Rainbow, which was Richie's band. And when I told him, I said, you know, Graham, it's not that you have a great voice. It's that every time I hear you sing the song, whether it's a studio or a live version, I feel like you're telling the story for the first time. And that's that's the thing. Like you really get connected to a singer that doesn't feel like they're just singing the words or just giving a good performance. There's a difference between that and really feeling like you're 
immersed in the music because the singer has has just pulled you into the story. And that's something that Candace is very good at. David Byron, very good at. Graham Bonnet, very good at. Uh, really interesting people that um, that have been doing with their life what they clearly were meant to be doing. And uh, and I could listen to vocals like this for, you know, hours and hours and hours on end. So I will say a, another great song, three in and uh, so far a home run for me with every one of them. And so, uh, you know, like I said, I, I went into this with a very positive outlook. Uh, this band has not let me down uh, in the least. So let's see where we go with A Darker Shade of Black. So as I listened to this song and it ended, I think I sat here for about five minutes staring at the screen with my mouth just hanging open, looking at a a non-moving computer screen. This song is very powerful. Um, If I had the ability to select a song to be put into space like they did with Beethoven's Ninth Symphony so that if there is any intelligent life out there, or I should just say life, out there uh, that could have a representation of what kind of things we can create here on earth, I would send this song. It is absolutely beautiful. It's haunting in a way, but it's also just, uh, just beautiful and warm. There are some amazing performances on here. There's some beautiful violin, uh, a great bass and percussion on this album. It's really kind of unexpected here. Uh, it's really something I I would picture more to be on a Rainbow album. In fact, it reminded me about the style of a song called Anybody There, which was on the Rainbow album, uh, Bent Out of Shape. Uh, the other instrumental being Snowman, uh, which which are both uh, songs that I love very much. I, I love this kind of song. Um, there are no lyrics to the song, but there is a lot of vocalizing. And it is so beautiful and haunting. Now, here's the thing. There is no specific credit for where the voice is coming from on this music. The only credit just states music Richie Blackmore, uh, which I'm not surprised at. But uh, being that you have a lead singer and then you have a couple people that are noted as doing backups, you have to assume that it is the lead singer that is doing the vocals on this song. I don't know if it is Candace or not, because I had no idea that her voice could do that. But whoever it is, that is just some gorgeous haunting vocalizing. And I love that it's put in the back of the mix, that it's not something that's really up front. It's it's equally felt and heard, and it's just very, very powerful, very emotional. I love vocals like that. You hear them in film scores a lot. You hear them in some video game soundtracks. But th- to hear it in, in a song like this is is just beautiful. And it makes me kind of wonder to take a song like Anybody's There and to put that kind of a vocal in it, what that would be like. I'm I'm sure it would be absolutely stunning. But in any case, uh, the the style of Richie solos on here, I could listen to this man solo for days and and just enjoy every bit of it. He's the the creativity, the the way he feels music 
is just absolutely amazing to me. It's like no one else I've ever heard. And even though there's a couple of guitar players that I could say that about uh, as individuals, they they make me feel music like no one else does. Um, his style is so individual. I, I've never heard anybody quite come close to it, except that people who were very apparently trying to copy him. But the soloing in, in this song, the, just the playing, it feels so natural. It feels very in the moment. It doesn't feel planned at all. Um, I know he said there was only one solo that he actually planned, and that was Highway Star. I have to think there were sections of certain solos that he's planned over the years, like uh, Death Alley Driver, you know, um, Spotlight Kid, you know, where he's doing certain interactions. But I would imagine his solo parts, a lot of those are, are basically unscripted. But here, this whole thing just feels very natural. It feels like he just closed his eyes and he's just playing what he feels, what the backing music is bringing out of him. And that makes this song just such a joy to listen to. Uh, I will I will listen to this song over and over uh, with with uh, enormous glee, I will say. Uh, absolutely beautiful song. Um, I, I can't, I could go on for a long time and talk about how great the song is, but I think at this point it would be best to not, uh, not overplay my review of it and just let you guys check the song out for yourself. You only got the tiniest taste of it in this opening, um, because this really is a truly just a, a longer opening to a, a much bigger song. And, uh, I highly, highly suggest taking the time to uh, to listen to this one because it is absolutely a stunning song from beginning to end. Uh, so that being said, uh, I'm going to quit talking about it now and let you guys enjoy it on your own. Uh, here we are. My God, we're already halfway through the album. Here is The Twisted Oak. Love the sound of those flutes. That just sounds so beautiful together. Um, this is just a lovely song. It gives me the uh, the visual of it being late at night and the campfire is dying down and we're all just sitting there telling stories and, and there's just this beautiful musical background. And, you know, honestly, listening to this song, if a bear came up and ripped me to shreds, I would just be like, hey, well, you know what? At least I got to listen to a great song on my way out. Uh, absolutely beautiful. The story is pretty interesting too. And, and it reminded me of, I was just telling the story to someone the other day. There was a show on in the eighties called real people. And there was another show called that's incredible. And they both had just things that you didn't get to hear about because we didn't have things like the internet back then we had encyclopedias that took you forever to find anything because they were, you know, 26, 30 books deep and uh, a pain. And of course, now we have the internet, but back then we didn't. And I remember on this show, Real People, they did an experiment where they hooked a plant up to uh, an EEG. And for those of you that don't know what an EEG is, it's this little machine that measures activity. So uh, they hook like electrodes up to your body and they could tell like when you're responding to things or, or you know, and the, the needles go uh, crazy on the paper and you get this really weird readout when there's uh, severe activity. So... They did this to this plant. And, you know, for the most part, the plant was like, eh, I'm having a good day. I don't really care about anything. And then they hooked up this cup of live shrimp uh, 
to a, a robotic arm and they left the room. And the plant definitely had a change in its uh, its activity. It noticed that there was something going on. It noticed that there was another creature. It noticed some kind of change in the stimuli of the room. And they set the timer to where at a certain point, while they were still measuring the plant, it would turn the cup over and dump these live shrimp onto the ground, which would obviously kill them. And as the timer got to the point where it started turning the little cup of shrimp, the plant went nuts. It went absolutely nuts. And of course, you know, it wasn't any happier when the shrimp got got splattered all over the floor and died. But it really brings out a point about nature, about how nature is so much more alive than we realize. Like we think a tree, yeah, we know it's alive because it grows, uh, it sheds, it regrows, it drops seeds, it does, you know, it does those things. But we don't really think about the fact that that plant or that tree or that bush really has a connection to the environment around it. You know, we see it as a thing and not an alive thing. But if you think about it, you know, all these years they say, well, you should talk to your plants or you should sing to them or you should water them naked. I don't think a plant would grow well if I did that. So I don't have any plants. But in general, those plants tend to grow better. They, they are stronger. They last so much longer because they're being nurtured by the energy that's around them. And it's almost like maybe they could sense the unease of the shrimp and not the fact that there was shrimp in the room. Maybe the shrimp gave off a certain vibration that the plant picked up on. I don't know what the science was behind it. They weren't able to explain anything about it at the time. This was just an experiment that they had done that they talked about. But it certainly makes you think about nature and think about our environment and how the things that we do affect the environment around us and the fact that the environment itself is alive. You know, and I try to I try to think about that stuff. I try to think about, well, if I step on grass, that grass is still alive. Is it going to feel anything or care that I stepped on it? I don't know. But why would I do that if I don't have to? I mean, if you're going to walk through a field, you're going to walk through a field and that's that. But if there's a sidewalk or there's a, a, a lawn, why wouldn't I take the sidewalk? You know, I wouldn't want to stomp on that grass if it has feelings. I don't know. I'm getting way out there. But in any case, that's what this song made me think of. But it's certainly beautiful. I love the playing on it. A great vocal performance. And it's it's one that I would really love to see, or I should say experience, this song being performed live. I think it has uh, a lot of great performance pot potential as well. So, uh, yeah, another great song. Halfway through the album and so far, I'm still pretty happy. You know, nothing Nothing this band has done has let me down yet. We have five songs to go. And one of them is actually a remake because they did uh, a new version. It looks like a new version of Wish You Were There or Wish You Were Here. I'm sorry. Uh, labeled as 2021. So it sounds like it's probably a new recording. I don't know because I haven't heard it yet. But uh, yeah, absolutely beautiful. So uh, as we hit what would be the second side, I imagine, of the LP, if I had an LP, uh, I don't, we would be hitting uh, the title track, Nature's Light.
This song sounds very, trying to find the right word. I want to say royal. You know, it's it's big and lush and has that brassy sound that you would think would be played at the entrance to an English castle. Uh, just just really regal and and uh, and huge. And I remember thinking this on a song or two uh, when I listened to Winter Carols for the first time that that were very brassy. Uh, it seems like this band, when they do use brass, tends to put it very much in the front of the mix uh, to the point I thought it buried the vocals a little bit during the chorus sections. But uh, but overall, it sounded really good. I think, I think, think that the bass drum that I'm hearing is not uh, a bass drum in the traditional drum set sense, but more like a, a bass drum that you would march with, you know, where it's a big bass drum strapped to your chest and you're hitting it on the sides with a mallet. Um, I could be wrong, but that's what the uh, the particular sound is to me. Um, sounds really good, though. There's a lot of tambourine in this song. I think the tambourine also, along with the brass in those particular sections, where there is vocals might drown it out just a little too much for my taste. I would personally like a little bit more vocal and a little less tambourine and brass. But overall, it's I mean, you can still hear everything. And I this is where I get nitpicky sometimes. So just, you know, take my ramblings with a grain of salt, if you would. But overall, yeah, just a, a beautiful song. I think it, um, it's not what I expected, to be honest. Thinking in terms of especially the kind of pictures that people sent in of what Nature's Light meant to them, kind of thinking that the band would be along that same page. I actually expected it to be a much more gentle and flowy song, maybe almost borderline new age versus uh, something that was, you know, heavier like this. It's a beautiful song, just not what I expected. So it was quite a surprise, but I just love that little timpani roll at the beginning to kick it off. You kind of know from there that that where it's going to go as far as the uh, the amount of power in it, because you don't typically start off a song with timpani and then have it go limp after that. It's going to it's going to have an edge to it. Uh, <laughs> well, except for Epitaph, Epitaph by King Crimson, I have to say that was probably the opposite. That started with a timpani roll and was a very uh, brooding and, and mellow song uh, until the, the end. But uh, apart from that, yeah, timpani roll usually means there's going to be some kind of excitement in there. And the song definitely has a lot of excitement in it. Very dancey. You know, the flutes are very playful. The riff is very playful. Uh, I really like it. A great song. Just not not at all what I was anticipating. Uh, but once again, I had nothing to go off of but my own um, imagination, which in this case was sadly off the mark. But I was pleasantly surprised by it. I think it's uh, it's just a great song. It's very powerful. I love that the bass drum wasn't a regular bass drum. It just had that that different feel to it. It felt more like we were walking through the mountains or walking through, you know, a field or, you know, through the castle to get outside into the into the open air and and, and enjoy some time together. It felt very party-like to me. Um very joyful, um lots of fun. And, uh, and a really great song. So that, ladies and gentlemen, was uh, Nature's Light, which was absolutely amazing. And now here we get to where the fact that I'm German has nothing to do with my ability to speak or pronounce things in German. Uh, most of them are very, uh, I'm very bad at. Uh, the first word in the song is dirt, which I think is the, like, uh, you know, the Waffle House, der Waffle House. Uh, if you're a... Um, Dead Like Me fan, which I am, had a blast working with Ellen Muth on a project a few years ago. She's so wonderful. Uh, anyway, so it is something that I am going to not try and pronounce. I'll just, I'll just 
put the titles in the show notes and you can read it yourself. And uh, you can, if you can figure out how to pronounce it, let me know uh, because I don't. Uh, incidentally, uh, there, this is an instrumental song, so I'll just mention it here since it's written in German. There is a song, uh, one of my favorites that Richie wrote, uh, and Richie is listed, uh, by the way, he's credited with, uh, the music on this song. Um, there's a song that appeared, I think I talked about this when I did my last review of a Blackmore's Night album, but it's called Weisheim, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong too. But in any case, it is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. And while I always say that the violin is probably the most expressive instrument for emotion that you could use in a song, I have to say on that song, Richie comes really close with his guitar. He's very good at bringing out emotion with guitar. And that's something that a lot of people really don't do. You could play a powerful solo. You could play some interesting riffs. You could put in some nice filler. And there's a difference between just structuring a good song, a good guitar song, and really bringing out emotion with guitar. And I think that is something that, you know, historically, Richie has just been absolutely amazing at. He's one of the, the, the best musicians for that, as far as I'm concerned. And it's not surprising that he studied classical musicians because classical musicians knew how to do that because that's the form that they had. In fact, until Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, there were no symphonies with choral sections. Oh, and also uh, in Nature's Light, too, I want to point out there's a really pretty part that uh, feels a little bit uh, like it was Mozart inspired. And uh, Ghent could be wrong, but that's what I'm getting out of it. So now uh, now I'm going to play the opening to the song that I'm not going to try and pronounce because I'm just not that good at international language. While this is not the kind of song I would have expected at all to be on this album, I really enjoyed it. I thought it has a, a great feel to it. There's a good uh, couple of points of a, a, a really strong emotion in it for me. It reminds me of something. I'm not talking about a song. I mean like a memory or, or some dream I had or something that that is sort of connecting to this, but it's a little bit elusive at the moment. I can't figure out exactly what it connects to, but that's it's intriguing to me. Uh, it, it's a good song. I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward blues as far as the backing tracks go. But, uh, you know, obviously what Richie brings out into it is uh, is Richie's typical magic. You know, he can turn something very simple into spun gold on his guitar with uh, without a problem. And uh, there's some really, really wonderful moments in this song. I don't want to spoil anything for you by going too deep into it. But I will say it's just a, an absolutely lovely song. I'm really glad they included it on this album because I could see this being one they might say, um, you know, it's not quite uh, a Blackmore's Night song or maybe it doesn't really fit with what we're doing. So I'll have to see how it fits in with the rest of the album. But I would say just on its own, uh, it, it's a really nice song. So uh, I'm really glad that they did include it. And I think that you'll enjoy it very much. So that uh, that brings us now to Wish You Were Here, the 2021 version. Let's see where uh, where this one goes. Wish you were here. 
wish you were here. I wish you were here. Don't you know the snow is getting colder? And I miss you like hell. What a great version of this song. Um, it it sets itself apart from the rest of the album because the reverb is so heavy on Candace's vocal. And uh, whereas the rest of the album is not quite as rich in reverb, there's also a really interesting spot uh, in one of the choruses where all of a sudden the effects just come off of her voice and it goes from affected to clear right in the middle of singing. So that was a bit odd. And the ending is pretty interesting with the effect that Richie's got uh, playing out the song. But for the most part, I think it's fantastic. I think it has such a haunting quality to it. And especially coming off the last song, that's a really good song order for uh, for these particular songs to uh, follow each other. But it's just got this sort of um, really rich sound to it, but there's also not a lot going on. It, it's just like rich and full and simple with these wonderful little fillers coming in from Richie and such a powerful vocal um, I could use a slightly different mix. I could use a little bit more vocal in spots and maybe a little bit more bass drum. But uh, other than that, I think it's got a, a great sound to it. It's just a little different from uh, from the other songs on the album as far as like the the level of effects go. But apart from that, it's a beautiful performance. It's definitely something that I kind of feel like just a bunch of people sitting together feeling a loss, feeling that they wish they could be with a person again that they that they just can't for whatever reason. And it, you know, of course everybody's got that person or persons like that in their lives and uh it, it certainly drudges up a lot of memories, a lot of emotions and I think that, that this is kind of a healing song though. You know, it's like letting out all that I hate that you're not here. I would give anything to to be able to talk to you right now kind of feel and just let it all out so that you can begin to heal. I think that's so important. And uh, I'm really glad they included this. It's such a great song anyway. Um, it was a nice surprise that it was on this album. And uh, I'm really glad because it's, uh, it's a great song. And um, yeah, that's that's really about all I can say about that, to be quite honest. And um, yeah, shockingly, we're, we're getting close to the end now. We're on song nine out of ten. We're on Going to the Fair. And if you recall... I mentioned this one earlier because this is the one that has additional vocals with Autumn and Rory Blackmore. And uh, those are their children. And of course, you know, why wouldn't you feature your children on a song? I'm sure they're all talented and um, and wonderful kids. The, the little bit of interaction I've seen with them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if I had a couple of kids and they were good singers, I'd put them on a song. Sure. Why not? So here is Going to the Fair. This song is exactly what I was expecting. It gives me that feeling of being excited to 
you know, finally go somewhere you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and finally it's time and you can go and you can just have fun and enjoy everything and smell the smells and eat the food and and dance and do whatever you're going to do there. Uh, it, it just has that, you know, I, I've been pent up waiting for all this time and now we're going and I really, really like this song. There's some interesting parts in there too where they drop out more of the melodic side of things and, and you just get a completely different texture than what you would expect. And that's a really nice change. I really like that. I also like that return to uh, the feel of the mallet bass drum versus uh, you know a regular bass drum with a pedal. Uh, I really like the, the, the sound of that for this song. But uh, yeah, it's a fun song and it just, um, I, I, I'm trying to find the right words. I'm a bit of, of a loss at the moment because I'm trying to process so much, you know, just hearing these songs for the first time. But it's it's playful, it's excited, it's it's just joy. Um, yeah, a, a good song, well worth listening to. So, uh, you know, nine nine for nine so far, I have to say. Uh, I don't want to give away too much. I will say that the backing vocals are very nice. And uh, and I think it's just a, a wonderful frolic. That's the word I was looking for, frolic. That's what I feel like. You're like frolicking through the field to go to the fair because you've been waiting and now it's time and it's just just the perfect day outside and you could already smell the barbecue from you know where you're at half a mile away trying to just get there and uh, and the excitement and the joy and trying to figure out you know what are you going to do first and you know that all the plans that you make are just going to go to hell when you get in the door and you're just going to be like, oh, okay, well, this is in front. So let's do this or let's go over here. And it's just going to be crazy. And if you're going with friends, that's never easy, is it? Because everybody wants to do something different. So, uh, but a good time is ahead. That's for sure. That's really the bottom line of this song is that we're about to have a good time. We're excited. We're, we're heading down there. I actually picture people like, you know, going through the field or going, you know, down the street or whatever. But like some people are doing cartwheels, some people are singing, some people are just kind of like dancing here and there down the street on their way. Just just the the walk is as fun as the fair is going to be because they're so excited to get there. And, you know, as I say on all these reviews that I do or anytime I talk about imagery, um, that's just my personal thing. Like that's what it makes me feel. Um I I imagine there are a million different things that people could feel with the song. But for me, in this moment, upon the first hearing, those are the visuals and the feelings that it brings to me. Uh, very joyful. Now I wish I was going somewhere. <laughs> I'm kind of sad. I can't. Uh, it's very late at night. The Internet's out, so I can't even upload this right now. Uh, but, you know, I live in Vegas and, and here we have uh, the strip and we can have walks like this all the time. It's not such a special occasion because... You know, it's like this all the time here, but uh, just, you know, I don't, I haven't gotten out to do walks in over a year. So uh, I certainly miss that. I imagine this song will be heavily running through my head when I go out to do my first full walk. I've been down there very late at night or very early in the morning when no one's around. So it's a little safer to to walk outside and, and not worry about who you're going to come into contact with. But uh, certainly this is the kind of song that I can identify with many times as a child thinking about growing up in Detroit, being excited to go to Bablo Island or Cedar Point, the amusement park in Ohio, or, you know, any of those places that you just couldn't wait to get to. And, and, you know, they weren't available, especially when you live in a place where there's winter and a lot of places are are only open during like spring through early fall. And you just don't have access to them as opposed to Vegas, which is just always here. So um, it's probably a lesser comparison to be able to use Vegas, but certainly the ability to go out and, and walk as I used to 
and uh, and just enjoy that. So I can appreciate the uh, excitement that these people are feeling in this song, and it's it's a great delivery. I love the musical changes. Certainly, something a little different uh, to offer the album. And uh, and I like that. I like the unexpected. Very tastefully done. I have to say all the effects that are on this album, uh, whether they're just like sounds that are thrown in in strategic places or whether they're uh, like vocal effects or, or any or music effects. It's all very, very tasteful, very minimal, nothing that's uh, overdone or anything that kind of made me go, why did they do that? Like everything just really sounds and feels good on this album. So we're nine for nine. We have one more song to go. It's called Second Element. Let's see what it brings us, guys. Burning fire, a light in the dark. Wow, this um, this song is very powerful. It it literally brought tears to to my eyes. Like I had to to wipe my eyes, otherwise I wouldn't be able to see right now. Very very powerful song. Amazing ending too. Like like just a fantastic ending. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, except to say that it is very very beautiful. Um, oh God, I don't even know what to say. Uh, there were a lot of really great elements in this song. It, it was really everything you could want from a Blackmore's Night song. I love the beginning vocal from Candace. I love her her singing in that gentler range. It's just so, so beautiful. The only other singer I could, could really compare that to would be some stuff I've heard Sarah Brightman do uh, on an album called La Luna, where she just had that just really lovely pitch and gentle quality, almost like a human flute in a way, um, but very sweet. And then, then it, you know, I love the way it transitions into uh, a little, uh, a little more, um, I, I, boy, I don't even know the word. The song is so powerful. Um, a little more punch, I guess would, would be the best way I could describe it at the moment, but, uh, but it sounds great. There's also this wonderful sound in the background. Um, it's, it's percussive. I don't know exactly what it is, uh, because it's it's drowned in reverb, which is the point. I actually like the way that that sounds. It's because it's just in the background. It's like a thing that's happening in the environment somewhere. Um, you know, kind of like when you film a movie and you're filming at night and you're outside and you're out in the countryside in the springtime, you're going to hear crickets. Like that's just part of the environment. And I feel like this sound is just something that's that's there uh, existing in the world that this song is is being performed in. Um, but it's just beautiful. And I love the deep, rich tones that we're hearing from Richie uh, through the first half before the electric guitar comes in. Just that on its own, very simple, um, really powerful, just deep, rich, full sounding tones. I love the mix on this song, too. I, I think it's fantastic. I love the the mix uh, of the vocals versus the tambourine on this one. I think they really got it nailed. This is the best sounding song on the album as far as that goes. I think there's two reasons. I think one in a lot of the other songs, the tambourine is just a little too upfront in the mix for me. And it's also very, uh, you know, there's a lot of high end uh, EQ that could have been uh, rolled off a little bit to take out some of that sharper edge of it. Uh, but here that's been done. It sounds absolutely wonderful. The The volume of the tambourine to vocal is fantastic. Just the mix of everything, the strings, 
um, just just so powerful. Everything sits perfectly where it needs to be to bring out just a fantastic overall song. And the mix is so important because if the mix isn't right, if it doesn't sound pleasing to the ear, then you lose the emotion. And there is so much emotion in the song. Um, God, just a fantastic ending. Uh, beautiful electric guitar work on here too. Uh, I love it. Um, some very unexpected parts. Um, just just things that I didn't really anticipate. Uh, this is the song that uh, Jim Papalardo comes back in on for some vocals, and uh, they've blended him in nicely. You can you can't really tell it's a male. You could all just kind of hear like a little more low end vocal. Um, but it's blended so well that you can't really get any more specific than that. But it sounds really nice. It's a really nice compliment to Candace's voice. Um, God, I, I can't say enough good things about this song. Uh, I would just say, check it out. Um, it, it's really interesting too, because I wasn't going to get into this, but, uh, as I, as I close out this episode of the show and, uh, for the, the two or three of you that are still listening to what I'm saying, and thank you by the way, for, for being here for a part of it. Um, there is a, a beautiful opening in, uh, in the CD booklet. And I, you know, one of the biggest issues I had, and I talked about this on my last review was because I downloaded the album. That's another reason I wanted to get the actual CD because I couldn't see who played what there were no credits. There's no nothing in the digital world these days. And a lot of times that stuff doesn't end up getting published on the internet or it does long after the fact. And um, a lot of times additional musicians aren't credited. You don't know who they are. If you wanted to hire them, you would have no idea how to find them. Um, it's it's pretty difficult. So uh, I love that in the book they did credit the musicians and um, gives me a chance to uh, to throw out some thanks to those folks as well. But there's this beautiful opening uh, at the very beginning of the book. On the left side, there's a picture of Candace playing a flute, Richie, with what I'm going to guess is the mandola. It's a double-necked kind of looks like a lute it's a bit rounded but uh but it's got two necks on it it's just an instrument i'm not very familiar with and i'm not sure which kind of flute candace is playing there but it's a lovely picture it's it's just kind of almost a little more than a silhouette of them out in nature it's kind of brushed over with uh foliage it's a, a lovely picture uh in any case but uh here's what the text says nature's light it's the story of nature being the true queen and the simplicity and magic of everyday miracles that happen right before your eyes, should you choose to look and see. Oh, that really resonates with me. Um, Richie talks uh, from time to time in interviews about nobody taking time to just stare out the window anymore. And I think he's right. I used to love doing that, especially on snowy nights when I lived in Colorado and you could just sit in the windowsill and uh, the snow would be coming down and it would just be so quiet out and you could just see the glow uh, outside. Just amazing moments. I do miss those. Don't miss the snow as much, though. Anyway, it continues on. The magic of the changing of leaves or, the, or new life in the spring. The crystal snow in winter that falls from the sky. The enchantment of the stars and the moon. The stories of the age-old trees whispering in the wind. One of our favorite pastimes getting away from technology and the modern day world is to go to Renaissance fairs, to step back through the veil of time and enjoy the simplicities of life so we can recharge our energies and spirits before heading back to the world that is over-sensationalized and desperately needs healing. This is our way to heal it. Candace Knight and Richie Blackmore. Um, yeah, well, you've done it because this is exactly the kind of thing, you know, the kind of warmth and celebration of joy and 
you know, togetherness that we really need right now. There's so much that uh, that just tears people apart more so than ever between the, you know, the problems of the governments and the world and politics and, you know, all the things that are happening and that have been happening just seem to be escalating more and more. And this is exactly the kind of thing that we need, I think, to bring unity. If we could all just find that common ground, you know, we could stop arguing about things and just have maybe the opportunity to sit down and share opinions and views and not judge each other for them, but to learn from them and, and see where that common ground is. And if anything can do that, if anything can open the door for that, it's music. And this is exactly the kind of music that I think can lead to those kind of things if people just give it a chance. And you know what? On a side note, now that I'm thinking about it, if there's anybody that's listening to this that works in advertising, let me tell you, when I am on YouTube researching things or you know looking for you know an instructional video about something or whatever, almost every ad that I see is geared towards either techno music or hip hop or something in that general vein. You know, if you really want me to buy something, you should license some Blackmore's Night Music because that's the kind of thing that's going to warm me up to actually pay attention to the product. As soon as I hear, you know, an 808 kick drum, I'm just instantly turned off to whatever that product is. I don't even care. I don't even care what you're showing. But if you had some warm tones, some something like the kind of music that's on this album, I guarantee I would at least pay attention to the ad. So anyway, if anyone in advertising is listening to this, that's my suggestion Go to blackmoresnight.com and you can reach out to them for licensing. I'm sure there's some deal that could be worked out. But, you know, I'm not I'm not their agent, but it just uh, it just came to me in this moment because I was looking for something earlier on YouTube. And I, you know, every time that it went to a commercial or something, that's exactly what happened. But anyway, I digress. This is an absolutely beautiful album. I'm so glad I got it. I'm so glad I made the uh, the, C- the physical CD purchase instead of downloading it on iTunes or listening, you know, through any other medium. I don't have Spotify or any of those streaming services, but uh, certainly glad that uh, that I got the CD on this one. So I'll have the links in the show notes to Blackmore's Knight's website, Candace's website, as well as the Amazon link where you can purchase this very CD package that I purchased. I think it was like $17.99 or something like that for the, the dual CD version. Um, but it's worth it because if you don't have... Uh, all of their other albums, then you get some of the songs from there. Um, it doesn't say anything about them being remixed or remastered or anything. So I'm just going to assume that they're the straight uh, studio versions that they put out originally. But it was very nice to to include that in the package. Some beautiful artwork you're going to get. Uh, some very nice text. And like I said, it's readable. It's not like a typical CD where you have to put a magnifying glass in front of it to read it. And uh, that's not just because I'm getting older. That happened when CDs first came out. I was like, this is stupid. This is not pleasing. I want my 12-inch album cover. I guess I was starting to sound old then, wasn't I? (laughs) Well, as I shake my fist at the clouds and complain about uh, days gone by, I will sign off on episode 151. I want to thank Richie and Candice and everybody in the band, the engineers, uh, the producers. Oh, and you know what? Uh, One more thing while I'm at it. I want to take a moment and thank the, uh, the mastering engineer because... Uh, I usually have issue with them. The uh, mastering engineer was Brad Vance at Red Mastering Studios. I want to thank you for not brick wall limiting this album, which is where they take audio and stretch it to the max and it makes all the dynamics go away and it would just be horrible for this kind of music. So thank you for being smart enough to not brick wall limit this album. Uh, I think the volumes sound great. I think it's a, a rich and full sounding album. Um, 
everything everything on this album really hits for me. There's, you know, once again, 10 more songs from Blackmore's Night that I really like. And uh, thank you to Richie. Thank you to Candace for uh, another beautiful album. Uh, would you get to work on the next one? Because I'm already anxious. <laughs> but hopefully uh, you'll be able to tour soon and uh, you'll come to Vegas and uh, I'll get to see you perform live. But in any case, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, everyone who listened to the show. Much longer than I had anticipated it being. I think this is the longest review I've done, but there's so much to talk about because there's so many things going on in these songs and, and it's such an important album. I didn't want to rush through it. So thank you guys. We will see you next week for another episode. I have no idea yet what it's going to be, but it's going to be an episode about something as it always is. So thank you guys. Please take care of yourself. Remember to take a moment to do something for yourself and take a moment to do something for someone else. It takes so little to bring a smile to someone's face. Just do it. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.